countdown. We're going to be so excited about whatever the message will be on that imaginary Sunday that we'll be doing like New Year's Eve, right? Yes, yes. And the word of God, just like that. Hi, I'm Ray. Uh, I'm one of the members in the church here. And uh, Adam, our pastor, was kind enough to let me uh, be able to share with you today. And uh, I really, really look forward to this uh, because I felt like God's been stirring something in my mind and in my heart that uh, goes directly with uh, the uh, theme that Pastor Adam started uh, two weeks ago, which is counterculture. Um, And uh, I've really, really been blessed by the messages uh, that uh, he's brought us. Uh, Have you guys, let me just do the, the quick survey. Have you heard the messages that he's brought us? Okay, good. Six of you, the other 90, whatever. Um, So you can pick those up on the uh, audio archive because this is the third week of what's going to be, I think, like a five or six week series, uh, something like that. And uh, so we're going to continue that theme uh, today, uh, counterculture. And um, uh, whenever I'm working on a series, I really feel like it's important uh, to review uh, so here's what we'll do is we'll spend 86.4% of the time on the review, and then we'll do like 13 point whatever the remainder is uh, on the new stuff. Because if you really want to be smart, quote, or be thought of as smart, is quote other people. So I'm going to spend all my time reviewing what Pastor Adam has done, and uh, because that's the way to go, right? So, um, so here is, there it is. There's the complete review of both weeks, right? Um, there's, there's something really about uh, what, uh, what Adam's already uh, shared with us. In fact, that, that central image that he gave us starting in week one, which was about this little mini parable that Jesus told about the woman who took a measure of yeast or leaven and hid it into the dough, uh, and then it, it works its way through the entire lump. Now, um, a, a long time ago, when I was a teenager back in the 1930s, I worked at a pizza place, and my, my first responsibility uh, at, at the pizza place was to get there early and to make the pizza dough. True story. I'm not, it's not shtick. Um, and, um, and so you, we would take like this 25-pound sack of flour, put it in one of those giant mixers, take a little salt, take a little uh, uh, sugar, and then we would take um, just 25-pound sack of flour, and we would take just three packages of yeast for 25, or water too, because you need, you know, deep bread. Um, and, and we would put just that much yeast into the pizza dough. And um, it, it brought back so many good memories that I thought I would make for you guys a pizza today. So hold on here. Now, I, um, I got up early to work on this. In fact, um, I, I planted the wheat uh, weeks ago, <laughs> harvested the wheat, Threshed the wheat, made the flour. It's all local and it's all organic, right? Um, so here, you want some? You want some bread? There you go. Yeah, lovely, right? Don't eat that though, okay? Just telling you, right? But you know how this works and, and it, it's kind of sticky, isn't it? Kind of sticky. So what you got to do is you got to you gotta take a little bit of the, the flour that, you, that you've already mixed it with and, and at least then that keeps it from getting completely on your hands. And then the, the woman in the parable that Jesus told, isn't this amazing that it's the same process as something from 2,000 years ago? I don't know if you realize this, but we've got something like radically in common with Jesus. Uh, he's the bread of life. What a great image that is. 
And um, now, like I said, uh, three of these for 25 pounds of flour. So really, honestly, like this much yeast, I mean, just like that much yeast mixed right there and just knead it right into the dough, just that much. And now I would like to ask anyone who would like to try, can you get the yeast out of the dough? We just put it in. Like, how long ago? Put the yeast into the dough. And this is what, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A woman baking bread for her family takes a little bit of yeast, hides it in the lump of dough, and, you know, then usually what you do is you, you know, you like cover it over so the flies and all don't get on it. And then you, um, oh, that's great. Um, and, and then you go about your business. And so she goes about her business, and what's supposed to happen? Right, it rises, and the, and the rising tells us that something's active. Something is really going on there. And, you know, we, we go about our business. In fact, Jesus tells another parable about this, the farmer who sows the seed in the field, and it says he goes about his business. He doesn't even understand how the seeds work. And he's a farmer. It's his occupation but he doesn't even understand how those seeds work. And yet, um, you know, the crop grows, the, the dough rises, the yeast somehow finds its way through the, the whole loaf. So that's the first picture. Now, if you're wondering, am I actually going to reenact all six pictures? The answer is no. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Um, but it's amazing uh, because this is the central image. Uh, and, uh, you know, wouldn't it be just like Jesus to, to take one of his most powerful teachings about the kingdom of God and hide it in one of the shortest little one-sentence parables, right? So uh, on week one, Adam taught us about the the parable of the kingdom of God is like yeast that's in the dough. Adam also said that there's new creation. In fact, this was a powerful line. I wrote it down. I think I tweeted it out. We don't need a better Campbellsville, if, if you live here, or Greensburg or Columbia or wherever you're from, We don't need a better Campbellsville. We need what? A new Campbellsville, a new city. And again, that's drawn directly from the biblical image, right? At the very end of the book, what happens? What comes down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband? What comes down? Come on. It's not a trick question. You can do it. I believe in you all. The new Jerusalem. You see, Jesus didn't come just to make Jerusalem a better place, a more efficient place where they uh, uh, deliver the mail better or pick up the trash on time or that there's no potholes in the roads. He's, he's into new creation. And yet somehow the creation, the new creation is entirely identifiable with the old creation as well. That's, that's really profound. And that's what God's intent for our community is. We, Vineyard's been here in Campbellsville been coming up on 20 years God's intent for our community is not a better Campbellsville that's cleaner, faster, more efficient, less corrupt, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and all those things are fine, right? But it's that it's a new creation, as well as for us individually, which is that he's, he's, he's not out for a better you. He's, he's out for a new you, right? So that's the, uh, the second one. That's downtown Campbellsville. And then Adam gave us uh, three things uh, to take away during week one. Now, anybody that takes notes, of course, you still have them on your phone, your iPad, or in your notes, right? And so I, but good for you. And um, so I went ahead and just hid them in a little word cloud for you. Do you remember the three things that, uh, that he told us? Uh, 
Yes, that's right. He said that a counter a countercultural community will have something to live for. We'll have Jesus as an example and and it will and it will display the fruit of the kingdom. Right? Something to live for, Jesus as the example and the fruit. Because there's a lot of things, taking those backwards, uh, fruit, there's a lot of things that sound good in theory, but they don't produce any fruit, right? Jesus really is the example. He is the countercultural person, and he is the, bod- the first body of Christ. I mean, he's totally the example for us. That stretches me sometimes, the idea that Jesus could be an example. And of course, something to live for. Here's what Jesus said. He said, if we seek to save our own lives, we will what? But if we lose our lives for his sake and the kingdom's sake, he says, then what happens? Yes, that's right. Not all at once. Quiet down. Uh, he, he says, we will find that new life, right? So that was week one. And then during uh, week two, I really appreciated this because uh, I, I was born, like I said, in the 1930s. So I was an adult by the time that the anti-war movement started. Which war? Wait a minute. Let me go back. The Vietnam War, because there have been so many, Right? Uh, but during the uh, Vietnam War, there was this countercultural movement, uh, and uh, everybody that I knew wanted to stick it to the man, right? Never mind now, seriously, that I was a white, middle-class, suburban teenager who had never suffered a day of hardship in my life. I wanted to stick it to the man, <laughs> right? Everybody was anti. I mean, I was anti everything. I was anti the fact that, you know, I had to walk a mile and a half to school, which is a true story. Uh, I, you know, I was anti that school started at 8.40 in the morning. I had it hard, right? Yeah, and the Greensburg people are saying, hey, you don't know anything, right? Okay, so, you know, we, uh, but the, the kingdom of God is not anti-anything. It's about the yeast, it's about the new creation, and it's, and it's about God's intentions being constantly renewed. You know, so, so it's not anti-anything. And then the point of Adam's message last week, which really made me nervous because he pretty well stole the message that I had planned to share, which is that God's people, this counter-cultural people who are not anti-anything, they're pro-Jesus and his kingdom. Um, man, I've got, I still have white dough all over me, don't I? Um, that what, uh, what the distinguishing marks of God's people are is that they hear his voice, second picture, and that they do what Jesus says, hear his voice and that they do uh, what he says. And uh, if you uh, seriously, if you do think about going back on the audio archive, um, the, um, the little five minute tutorial that Adam did on uh, hearing God's voice was like pretty amazing just as a little five minute segment. So I really recommend that if hearing God's voice is a challenge for you. Uh, Adam uh, really laid that out for us. So that's week one and that's week two, right? And so um, this week, uh, I would like to just tell you a horror story. Can I do that? Um, here's the horror story. The horror story uh, is, a, is a seafaring tale about a man who was thrown overboard, swallowed by a sea creature of some sort, vomited back up on land, and uh, then did the work of God. So Bible scholars among you, you might recognize this story as what? Very good. Now, this really is like the audience participation part. I'm curious. Help me out. Tell me, what do you remember about the Jonah story? What are the associations? If I tell you, all right, our text for this week is going to be out of Jonah. What do you remember about Jonah? Big fish, okay. Vomiting. 
which is if you're doing children's church, you know, and you're hitting a certain age group, you definitely want to hit up that. It's a great text, that's for sure. What else do we remember about uh, Jonah? Um, I'm sorry? Jonah. In fact, he gets a nickname, the reluctant prophet, right? Good. Uh, D-Ray, you said? God changed his mind. God can be very persuasive. Persuasive, that would be one. God changed his mind. Anybody else? Chronically grumpy. You know, my wife told me, whatever I do, don't insult anybody today, <laughs> right? And I said, why should today be any different? But we'll see. We'll see how that goes, right? I'm sorry? So far, so good. We're eight and a half minutes in. Yeah, we're doing okay. All right. So uh, chronically grumpy, God changed his mind. God's persuasive, reluctant prophet, great text, uh, vomiting, big fish. These are very, very good. Um, now, how many of you know where you would find Jonah's story in the sacred book? I got to tell you, I don't know where it is. So here's what I know. If I find Daniel, I go to the right. And if I find Matthew, I go to the left. And somewhere there's this little collection of 12 really tiny books with Obadiah, Bebadiah, Dabadiah, Dubadiah. And in there is Jonah. Uh, uh, fun fact, right? Fun, I just saw Paul Blart Mall Cop last night. He was constantly giving out fun facts. Fun fact, the entire book of Jonah, it's a good association. <laughs> The entire book of Jonah is 48 verses long. Did you know that? It's four chapters, 48 verses long. So if you brought a Bible today, and I really hope you did in some form, digital uh, paper, or maybe you've memorized the whole thing, find your way to Jonah. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to add to what Adam talked about, that the countercultural people of God hear his voice, do his will, and also have his heart. That's, that's where we're headed. In fact, if you're tired and you need to take a nap, you just got the message. Hear his voice, do his will, and have his heart. That's, that's the entire review right there. But uh, Jonah chapter 3, this is the entire chapter, um, and it is an amazing chapter. Uh, we're starting uh, in the middle of things. There's four chapters, 48 verses entirely, not just in chapter 3. Like 48 verses is the whole book, Right? And in chapter 3, uh, Jonah has already heard from God, gone down to Joppa, bought a ticket going to Tarshish, been thrown off of a ship, swallowed by this giant sea creature, vomited up on the land, which is what's really fun if you're in fifth grade um, or if you're my age. And um, now, Jonah, post-vomit Jonah, uh, it says this. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It takes three days to walk across it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. It's an amazing message. Um, the Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed. And all of them from the greatest to the least Put on sackcloth. Now, what that simply means is you, you get rid of your really fancy clothes like what I'm wearing today and you put on something that's rough and hewn and th there's nothing fancy about it. And it is amazing that the city hears the message. The people of the city from the greatest to least begin to respond to the message and finally the leadership catches up. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he gets off of his throne, takes off his you know, purple robes, covers himself and he puts out a proclamation. Um, and he says this, he says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, 
Don't let the people or the animals, herds or flocks do anything. Don't let them eat or drink. So not even your livestock can eat or drink. Everybody's going to fast. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways with violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did, he turned back from what he had planned to do. Okay, now, first of all, if that doesn't mess with your theology, I don't know what will, okay? And I'm not here to explain it. I'm just telling you that's what it says, okay? Right? All right? And amazingly, this reluctant prophet, the guy who went, uh, went west when he was supposed to go east, uh, went onto the sea when it was supposed to be an overland voyage, uh, the guy who gets thrown into the ocean and blah, blah, blah. Uh, by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, it's mission accomplished, right? As Dr. Ray said, God can be very persuasive. Now, here is the absolutely amazing thing to me. That's chapter 3, but how many of you know that the chapters and the verses were added later? If I were telling this as a bedtime story to my 11-year-old, and she'd go, oh, okay, great, it's another God story. Everybody repented, right? Oh, God's good. Jesus is the answer, etc. The very next verses, the beginning of chapter 4. Here's what it is in chapter 4. But Jonah, to him it seemed very wrong. He became very angry and he prayed to God. This is like a prayer I've never prayed. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by going the other way, right? Because I know that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from uh, from sending calamity, And now, Lord, take my life because it's better for me to die than to live. Can we just let that sink in? In fact, I recommend that if you read the book of Jonah, that you read chapter four first. Remember, the whole book is how long? Read chapter four first. It's like sneaking to the end of an Agatha Christie novel. Find out who did it and then go back and read the beginning. You know, it's like Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Spoiler, right? Because it changes. Sorry, if you haven't seen it by now, sorry. Okay, look, it's it's a spoiler that changes the way you will see the rest of the book. Are you with me? Jonah is PO'd at God because an entire city has repented and turned to the God of Israel. Nineveh isn't in Israel. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They are nasty, nasty people who practice child uh, sacrifice and they crush their enemies and they put heads on spikes and, you know, their Game of Thrones through and through and through and through, right? It's a nasty kingdom. And Jonah is angry at God. And the amazing thing is that the reason he's a reluctant prophet is that he knew God was compassionate and merciful and that if he took God's message to Nineveh, they might actually repent. That's God's prophet. You understand? Okay. So this is what I want to talk about is I want to talk about, it's, it's like this shocking development of, 
Uh, for those of you that really like classic movies, yeah, I did the Bruce Willis thing, but that's kind of recent, at least kind of recent, right? You remember Lawrence Olivier in the Alfred Hitchcock film, Rebecca? And everybody thinks what? You know, Rebecca is the name of his dead wife. And, you know, he's like moody and sullen. Everybody thinks he misses his wife so much. He's, he's, he's torn with the, the, the loss. And then the twist at the end is, again, spoiler, the twist at the end is he hated her and he killed her. And that's why he's sullen and moody as he's dealing with his guilt. Right? And then when you know that, you go back and you watch the rest of the, you watch the movie from the beginning. It like totally changes the way you interpret things. Read that, then go back to verse one, chapter one. Okay? So, a couple of things. We heard about a great fish when I asked you what you knew. All right? We're not going to actually look at these verses. You're just going to take it from me. Actually, Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is a seaport, pays for a ticket. It's headed to Tarshish, which is going across the sea. And there's this great storm that comes up. And these sailors, as, as sailors are on a boat, you know, you got one from France and one from Morocco and, you know, one from Italy. I mean, they're from all over. And this is a polytheistic crew, right? And so the storm is so bad that the captain says to everybody on the crew, call out to your God or to your God or to your God, because who knows, maybe one of these gods will save us. Now, if you're on a boat with professional sailors and the captain tells everybody to start praying, you're in a heck of a storm. Can we just posit that? And Jonah, by the way, has just, you know, as, as guilty people sometimes do, this is the way I process guilt. I, I go inward, get depressed, and I go to sleep. So that's where Jonah is. Meanwhile, everybody else is praying to their various gods. Oh, Poseidon, oh, Neptune, oh, whoever. You know, they're all doing that. And then they discover that Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. And, and he says, well, look, actually, guys, this is my fault. And they said, well, why don't you call on your God? He says, actually, my God is the God of the sea and the sky and, the, and all of the earth. And uh, really what you need to do is just pitch me overboard. Now, this is amazing because the text tells us that the sailors did not want to kill an innocent man. And that then they prayed, the sailors, the polytheistic pagan sailors, prayed to God that God would not judge them for taking an innocent life in order to save their own. Okay, reluctant prophet who's mad that 120,000 people get saved. Pagan sailors, right? Pagan sailors. And what are they? They didn't want to throw them overboard. They prayed for forgiveness. When the sea calmed down, they go, whoa. Hey, you know that guy we just threw overboard? His God really is the God of the sea and the sky and all of the earth. And so they turned to God. I mean, Jonah brings more people to repentance. And I mean, just, just by being his obstinate, stinky self, right? And then the city of Nineveh, which the text tells us, the city of Nineveh, which is inland quite a, quite a ways, 120,000 people, and, and they turned to God. Now, I want you to juxtapose these little points with you know, Skipper and the little buddy with Jonah because he absolutely ran the opposite direction. When you read Jonah, again, if you know the spoiler, read that beautiful prayer in chapter two, except you realize it ain't so beautiful when it's from a guy who wants 120,000 people to perish. He wants them dead. He wants their grandma dead. He wants the grandpa dead. He wants the aunts and uncles. He wants them all dead. 
And, you know, you say, oh, it's such a beautiful prayer in chapter 2. Horse hockey. (laughs) In fact, it's self-righteous. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me, right? He gets mad at God. And then uh, in the the rest of chapter 4, he actually cares more about a plant that springs up overnight than he cares about this great city. All right, comparison to review. The sailors don't want to kill an innocent man, ask God for forgiveness, turn to God and worship him, and the entire city of Nineveh repents. God's guy runs from God. God's guy wants other people to die. God's guy is just a complete stinker. Contrast the conscience of the sailors and the capacity of Nineveh to change with the religious dude, the guy who's on the right team, the guy who has the heritage, probably at that point, at least, they don't exactly know when he lived, uh, at least five, 600 years of heritage, more likely a millennia of heritage. Okay? Who are the good guys? And who's the bad guy? Good guys? Bad guys. You with me? All right. Here's what we discover. We discover a couple things from this. The first, that God is most at work in places that we would rather avoid. Is that true? They taught me in preaching class, if it's really important, say it again. God (laughs) is most at work in places we would rather avoid. And if it's really, really important, God is most at work in places that we would rather avoid. Yeah? Um, how about that third one? He gets mad at God because of the mercy towards Nineveh. Can, can I just tell you, I'm not here to bust on Jonah because in my notes I wrote, me too. Have you ever done that? I mean, I, I became a Christian in high school and um, uh, in high school, I mean, I, I'm not making this up. I actually started high school at four foot nine so all the football players intimidated me, every single one of them, even like the third stringers, right? And by the time I graduated from high school, I was like five foot four or five foot five, totally intimidated, but I was a believer. I knew a secret that none of the football players knew because, of course, they were all what? Pagan, Ninevite, sailors. And when one of those guys got saved, I didn't like it. <laughs> True story, Right? And when God began to sweep through the high school and all kind of people, the gearheads in shop class began to get saved. The FFA people began to get saved. God moved mightily during my four years of high school and I hated all of it. <laughs> Meet, I, I, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth, okay? It also tells us, especially if you read at the very end of this entire massive Bible book that is only how long? What are you going to do this afternoon before the nap? The massive Bible book, 48 verses long, it also tells us about God's heart for cities. Right? And now you're going to have to pardon me here because we're country folk. Right? Now be honest, especially if you, if you are uh, maybe of a more conservative political bent and then you hear about this great city named Detroit that goes completely bankrupt, that's been run for years by the wrong people. And it's like, I ain't bailing them out. What? They ran their city into the ground. What's God's heart for the city? 
loves Detroit. One of you said it. He loves Detroit. And imagine, imagine that you could have a posture that you hate the other side so much you never want the other side to prosper or for their plans to work. That would never go on in American politics today, would it? And the amazing thing is, is that there are believers on both sides of the political divide and the believers are drinking the same Kool-Aid that everybody else in politics is believing. So if I'm a progressive, I don't want a single conservative solution to work. And if I'm a conservative, I don't want a single progressive solution to work because they're the bad guys. You know what? God is neither progressive nor conservative. He is God, and he loves the cities. He loves the cities of our great nation. He loves the cities everywhere. He loves the city of Campbellsville. He loves our city. It's amazing. And yet we're the ones who would pray Those who go after idols have forfeited the grace that would be theirs, but I will be faithful to you. Because that's what Jonah prayed. Heaviness descends on the room. Right? Okay. So that's the deal there. Okay. Here's what God's after. You see, Jonah heard the word of God from the very beginning of the book. Is that true? Word of the Lord comes to Joseph, son of Amittai, go and preach against Nineveh 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. He hears the word of God in chapter one, verses one and two. He is a countercultural agent for the people of God. He hears the word of God. He runs the other way as for the reasons that we've already revealed. But then by the time we get to chapter three, it says the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Now, I'm really glad of that. Aren't you glad that the word of God will come to you a second time or a third time or a fourth time? You see, because the same patience and love and forbearance that God shows towards these sailors and towards the people of Nineveh, he also shows toward me. I'm really, really glad of that. Okay, so the word comes to him a second time and he actually goes to Nineveh three days walking through the city And he does the word of God. These were the first two things that Adam talked about last week. A countercultural people will hear God's word. A countercultural people will do God's word. But a countercultural people grow, I couldn't find the right word, grow, develop, expand into, let the yeast work to where eventually they have the heart of God. Look how effective This good-for-nothing prophet was. A whole boatload of people get saved. A whole city load of people get saved. And his heart isn't even in the right place. Now, what that tells you is that to hear and do the word of God is really powerful. To hear and to do the word of God is really powerful. But the transformational element that grows us into the people of God is when there is a society of Jesus who have the heart of God. And that doesn't happen as soon as you put the yeast in the dough. That doesn't happen. I can tell you, I've progressed a little bit since my high school days. (laughs) The yeast has worked its way through me. 
But if I told you the full, really ugly story of how many times it's been me and God against them, it would be really quite ugly, right? It would be terribly ugly. And so the yeast has to work its way through. It has to work its way through. It has to work its way through in me. It has to work its way through in us as a corporate people. You know, part of, part of our dream, my dream for the vineyard would be that we are so relevant to God's kingdom that people can't figure out, are they liberal? Are they conservative? Uh, you know, what the heck are these people? Are they charismatic or are they fundamental? I don't know what these people are. You know, do, are they high church or are they, are they low church? I don't know what these people are. My goal would be that we become a society of Jesus. By the way, there was a group that took that name, the Society of Jesus. They were called the Jesuits, and they changed the world. They changed the world. Okay? So what we need most is heart change. And since this is a Christian church, and since we know that the New Testament is far more inspired than the Old Testament, I thought I'd go ahead and at least give you one New Testament verse, right? (laughs) All right. So from 2 Corinthians, it says... This is Paul, and he's talking about his work as a messenger to all of society. Read for that, apostle. He's talking about his apostleship, which just simply means his message to all of society. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. And though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The the new has come, the old is gone. And all of this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that God was in the world, uh, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, comma, not counting people's sins against them. OMG. (laughs) Not counting people's sins against them? Are you kidding me? Don't you know the way? And then now just fit, just fit whatever is your favorite whipping people. Don't you know the way they have messed up society? Not counting people's sins against them. That's Jesus. That's the Father reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And that's the message that he gives to anyone who is supposed to go and live the message. Paul's describing his work as an apostle, but guess what we are? Don't hide from it. Own it. We're apostles. Not not counting the world's sins against them. Lord, help us to see the world the way the Father sees the world. Do you know the way the Father sees the world? He loves the world so much that he gave the only son that was ever born to him, right? So that they wouldn't perish, but that they would have not just long-lasting life, but this eternal quality of life, a celestial life, right? Not only to see the world, but then trust in the power of the creation, It's a new creation. Do you know how hard it is to trust in the power of a new creation in a person? Ask my wife how hard it is to trust 
in the power of the new creation in somebody who has walked with Jesus. She would tell you, yeah, he's a Christian. What's it like to trust in the power of the yeast that's in the lump? And she'll go, that takes faith. And she's not lying. Right? Okay? And it's not just that we value what Jesus loves. No, no, no. See, politicians talk about values. When they want your vote, to love what Jesus loves. What does Jesus love? Let's just take a minute. Can we do that? I'm serious. Just relax. You can close your eyes. You can keep them open. What does Jesus love? Who does Jesus love? Not just to value what Jesus values, but to love what Jesus loves. Think about that. That means, and and my wife actually asked me this. She said, you must have really hated the football players in high school. I've been out of high school for 40 years. And I still struggle with, they were just a bunch of barbarian, pagan, beastie boys. I mean, if, I, if I'm being honest about what's going on inside of me, right? I'll give you one example. I think, I think the Lord, like, allowed me to experience and see this this week just to remind me. Uh, I live out in the country. I've got a spring that feeds a creek in my backyard. And so all of the woodland creatures come out and play in my backyard, which is wonderful. And so we're thinking Bambi, right? But also... Every season when I'm mowing the yard, I come across the shed skin of snakes in my yard (laughs) near my house. And so I was talking with a guy about this, and I said, man, you know, if they're shedding the skins, that means they're growing, and they're near my house. I said... How do, I, how do I kill the snakes? And the guy said, you're asking the wrong question. The only reason they're there is because there's a food source. If there's not a food source, they'll go somewhere else. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost is all over this icky conversation about snakes because the Lord said, all those things that still look good to me, if the food source dies up in me, they're not going to look good anymore. Now, I debated a really long time about how transparent to be about this. And I decided to like totally not go there. (laughs) But I want you to use your most horrible imagination. I did. No, I really did. (laughs) I went all week with, should I tell people about the things that still look attractive to me? The things that are a food source in my imagination and in my life, the things that still I have a hunger for, right? And it's not about killing them. It's about no longer thirsting or hungering after them. To get, and I mean, honestly, I, the, the, the creepy factor in the room would go through the roof if I got specific with you. And I'm, and I'm not trying to be funny. Right? Now, it's also far more powerful. We just, I just asked you to think about the things Jesus loves. Let's do it one more time. Think about the things that still look attractive to you 
You don't have to close your eyes, but you can. Take a deep breath. Where's my food source? What still looks attractive to me? Because those things will bring the serpents into your life. And it's not a matter of killing the serpents. That's kind of like the tactical solution. I'll spend the rest of my life killing snakes, or I could just clean up around my house and get rid of the food source, and the snakes will go somewhere else. That's heart transformation. Hear the word of God. It's really important. Do the word of God. It's really important. Heart change is downright, absolutely transformational, both for me, for us, and for our community, for the world. Make sense? Okay. So that's what we're after here. That's what a countercultural people are after. And I want you to use your imagination one more time. Okay? I want you to imagine a people whose first response, a people, a people, plural, whose first response is not counting the world's sins against them. What would a people like that do in a town of 9,000 people, a county of 21,000 people? What would a people be like? What would a people be like who were filled with hope and respect for others because the people, every created being is a work of God. Francis Schaeffer, who died, I don't know, a couple decades ago, he said he used to be so upset because people would go to like modern art museums and mock and laugh at the modern art, which it was either pointless, random, or hopeless, right? And Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, but sometimes modern artists are the only ones asking the real questions, and they are portraying for you their hopeless answers. And then Francis Schaeffer said this. Every human being is important because they're created in the image of God. So what if we actually had hope and respect for the work of God in all those Ninevites? What if we had that? What if we realized, as Adam said in the first week, we put a whole lot of that on there. What if we actually realized that the yeast of the kingdom was put into the loaf of the world 2,000 years ago? It's not about that those people are full of it. It is that they are becoming filled with it, right? What if we actually began to trust the yeast that Jesus has already spread in the world? It wouldn't do any good. I, I just put it in, right? Does it look any different? What's the matter with you? You suck. I know, it's pretty silly. Yelling at a lump of dough. But do you know that there's something living and active in the lump of dough? Something that is inexorable? Had to use thesaurus.com for that one. Okay? It's unstoppable. If I throw this in the trash, you can come back. I don't know why you would want to. If I throw it in the trash, you can come back and it will have grown because the yeast will do its work. Do you know that God does its work even when we throw people away? Come on. 
But it's not just about the world. It's about our brothers and sisters. What would happen if we trusted the leaven of the kingdom at work in our, and I should have put, of others, just put our brothers and sisters. Do you know that Christianity is more than the vineyard? Newsflash. There's all kinds. And do you know God likes a big family? You ever been to a family reunion? It's so weird because they're, they're like you, but they're not like you. It's like everybody's got the Holland, at least of mine, everybody's got the Hollenbach nose, but they're so different. What would happen if rather than, can I pick on, pick on somebody I know, rather than picking on someone and saying, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you more, now fill in the blank, right? Holy, righteous, uh, stronger, more powerful, blah, blah, blah. What's the matter with you? Okay, now move away. What's the matter with you? Instead of trusting the yeast and say, something eternal has been put into this person and that person. And what if we beheld the leaven of the kingdom? Said it's in you. And as sure as the yeast works its way through the lump of dough, it's going to come to fruition in you. It's going to come to fruition in you. In fact, there might even be Bible language. I am confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the complete day of Jesus Christ. Or we could just yell at the dough, you idiots, it's Pentecost. Right? It's kind of fun. It's Pentecost. Why don't you speak in tongues? Do it. Do it. All right, okay, now we, okay, we you get the idea. All right, all right. Okay, one more, one more. What's the last one? What's God done in you? What's God put in you? And how do we trust in the work of God in ourselves? Right? So now where's the dough? I'm not going to do it. It's in, it's in here. It's in here. And, and on my bad days, I think trying harder is going to make me a better believer. And so I say, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you 44 years of following Jesus? Why aren't you more holy, better, this, that, or the other? And I scream at myself. Now, I know you guys don't ever worry about how you're turning out in Jesus, but I do. I mean, about how I'm turning out in Jesus. I worry about how I'm turning out in Jesus. And what would, what would it be like? Let's use our imagination. In fact, we could become a countercultural people if we trusted in the yeast that he put in us. Isn't that true? I mean, doesn't that even just feel true? Right? In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor length nor breadth, nor Democrat nor Republican, nothing will overcome. I, I, you know, it's Romans 8, it's like near 28. I can't remember the whole thing. But I'm, I'm just convinced, not nakedness, peril, sword, all that stuff. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, and it may actually take working it backwards. Trust the yeast in me, 
Trust the yeast in the people of God. Trust the yeast of the kingdom that was sown by our Lord 2,000 years ago. Because it's really hard to minister to other people. If A, you're mad at them, B, you're mad at your brothers and sisters, and C, you're mad at yourself. Does that make sense? Okay. So for a ministry time, I want to do two things, if I can. Uh, If you've been assigned to the ministry team, I'd sure like for you guys to come on up now. Okay. And then I also want, you're all deputized. Raise your right hand. Come on, raise your right hand. You're deputized. You're all on the ministry team. Okay. I want you to remember that moment when Jesus said, I think I will make a new creation. When did that happen in your life? Maybe it was so subtle and over a long period of time because you grew up in a, in a house that really honored Jesus that you can't like pick the actual moment, but you just know that it got worked into you. Or maybe you had a really dramatic conversion. And so you say, oh, I remember, right? Or maybe you are that person who's never had the yeast put into the lump, okay? We're gonna just take one more moment. This is the ministry time, then I'm gonna pray and we'll be done. We're gonna just take one more moment. I want you to recall how God put the leaven of the kingdom in you. I want you to recall when, I want you to recall how, and I want you to imagine what your life would be like if you trusted the leaven of the kingdom. Okay, so let's pray. You know, Jesus, I'm going to pray about myself, but you fill in your blanks. You know, Jesus, for all of the insecurities in that 15-year-old boy, I'm so grateful that even though I didn't know what was going on, that you started to work the yeast into this lump of clay. And Lord, I trust that your work is greater than my understanding, or at least I want to trust it. And Lord, I trust that your work is even greater than my ability to screw it up. But Lord, I also want to cooperate with your work in my life. And so Lord, would you help me? Would you release right now in this room gifts of faith everywhere? so that we can embrace the leaven of the kingdom that's in us, that we can respect the leaven of the kingdom that's in others, and we can respect the leaven of the kingdom that you have spread to the four corners of the earth over two millennia. And it fills us with hope, Lord. Fills us with hope because the leaven will work its way through. And Lord, I welcome that leaven in me too. I welcome it. If if you've never put that leaven or received it, would be the better way to say it, then I ask that you would just open up the lump, say, put it right here. I'll knead it in. In Jesus' name, which is a really cool name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless our city and let's go be something greater than Jonah. How about it?
Take care.